Welcome back to Soulback. This is the R&B Podcast. Kyle here. I have Tom and Ed with me. What is going on, guys? What's up, players? What are you two up to today? Oh, you know, I'm just fighting for my effing life over here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. You got 30 on, years man. in this? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> 30. Listen, it's been... been- been 40 seconds we, and we already acting up what is going on <laughs> you know what we've been we've been doing this for like three or four years now so that sort of is like fighting for your effing life <laughs> every time i record this podcast i'm fighting for my effing life with you two. <laughs> so guys i'm gonna put it out there now we are not giving r kelly a play a please for that interview because i mean i know it's serious and all but that interview was the funniest thing i've seen all week I'm sorry. Oh, oh my gosh. I, it's it's like, it's hilarious, but it's so sad. The whole thing is depressing. And then there, I don't understand why this interview, at least at time of recording, has not aired in full, but it keeps showing snippets of it like it's a trailer for a freaking Marvel movie. Just put the whole <laughs> interview out. Right. <laughs> Damn. Uh, bad. If you guys haven't seen it, you guys need to watch that R. Kelly interview. It is, uh, it's quite something. But what's also something, guys, is that, number one, Ed, we did an R&B trivia last week with Tom, mm-hmm. and he got zero out of three. And oh. uh, I don't know how much time we have today. We'll see how we, how we go uh, when we get to the end of this. If we have time, I'll put you to the test. But like I said, we got more things to come, such as the new music. There's so much new music that came out this week, so... Um, I'm just going to quickly go through it, but Ed, I know you wanted to touch on the Solange album that came out. I already gave my two cents and I ranted about it, and Tom did as well, but what are your thoughts on this Solange album? Because you missed out last week. Oh my gosh, the Solange album. Look, player. Now, first of all, and I'm going to keep this brief because it has been talked about to death, and let's just get it out of the way. I mean, the music sounds like something they play in the background of a hood funeral home. So if you want some music to fold your clothes to and to wash your dishes to, this is for you. However, that still doesn't mean it's a bad album. I, you know your boy. I have listened to lots and lots and lots of bad, sloppy albums. And this isn't a bad or sloppy album. It's just an album that had a unique direction that just did not work at all. And it kind of, and I'm not talking about stylistically, but it kind of reminds me of my personal opinions of D'Angelo's Voodoo. Voodoo is an album that, as an R&B fan, people either love it or hate it. Because it's a different style of R&B. It's basically like this dark, sweaty, moody funk. And it's just not my style of music. Doesn't mean that it's poorly done. Just not for me. The Solange album, I see what she was trying to do. But it's just not for me. So it wasn't that it was poorly done. It's just not a taste that I can accept well. Don't sit well on a brother's palate. Tastes like okra and pears. Garbage. But, again, when I reviewed the album, you can check it out on soulandstereo.com. I gave it a okay review because, technically, it's not a bad album. It's just an album that I don't really appreciate the sound and direction. So, more or less, my thoughts. If you like it, have fun, but I doubt I'll ever listen to it again. Tom, 
Are we allowed to make that same excuse for every album that comes out? It's just not for me. It might be a good album, but it's just not for me. Isn't that how you felt about the Layover album by Jagged Edge? Oh my! Why would you bring that up? Oh, I'll bring it up. (laughs) The Layover album. This actually is a perfect transition because we featured Jagged Edge's new album. I mean, new single. I'm sorry. And people were were hoping that it wasn't going to be like the Layover. This is not our words. This is their words. Because the layover was just so far from what they've done before, artistry-wise. There was auto-tune, it was trap and hip-hop. Unfortunately, their reaction to the new single was was just as poor. And I'm actually surprised that people have been speaking up so negatively. I mean, I feel like fans in the past either would just say, oh, we like it because it's Jagged Edge, or just not say anything at all because they don't want to diss the artist. But man, we have some smart readers and they were just going in on that song, on that new song, Jack Edge has out, Closest Thing to Perfect. Ed, you heard it? No, I heard it. And since y'all won't do it, I'll gladly do it for you. You know how I just said that Solange's album is an album that isn't bad but isn't for me? This song is bad, and I can break down why. Because when you look at the songwriting, it's okay. It's not the best they've done, but it's okay. But the auto-tune is so unnecessary, it becomes gimmicky. And the difference between Solange creating a total body of work that, and I'm talking from front to bottom, has a specific sound, specific production, it's specifically sparse and airy and one verse looped over and over. It's kind of maddening, but that was intentional. This is, let me put out a song, slap some auto-tune over it, kind of mask any vocal imperfections they may have and then kind of ride the auto-tune wave. We know they can do better because if you listen to J.E. Heartbreak 2, come on now. But this is just in the lane of that Layover album. And the reason why, and if you got beef, you know where you can go. E.T. Bowser on Twitter. The reason why we're so hard on J.E. is because we know they can do better. And they just did better a couple years ago. So to crank out this stuff that's so quick, so microwavable, so McDonald's, so fast food from artists who have given us straight up classics is not acceptable. And when they did it once and it didn't work and they had a horrible reaction, why are you going to keep doing it? I don't know what's going on in Atlanta because Usher doing the same thing. Stop doing stuff that (laughs) isn't working with your fan base. Y'all can do better. I don't like the song. If you couldn't tell. (laughs) <laughs> Damn. Well, there was one fan that liked the song and wrote that he liked it, and he got jumped by like six of our readers on on Facebook. That was pretty. Funny. Oh my goodness! Led by was... the R- the authority of R and B DJ Soulchild, our boy. Oh my gosh! And then see, that's a different. Like, if you like it, you like what you like. If you like it, that's fine. I'm not gonna beat you over the head. The only time I go at you is when you try to claim that it's so genius and you can't understand the brilliance behind it. Then I'll go to war. But if somebody that likes that old auto tune garbage, let them like it. <laughs> anyway, I think we took part in the jumping as well, so I'm not gonna say anything. Anyway, oh, <laughs> I think we got hacked. Actually, I don't think that was us. No. Okay. <laughs> Someone hacked our Twitter. Um, Another record that came out, uh, Avant, he's back with a new single. And I'm going to try to read this because it's grammatically incorrect here. No, Not no. Gone Lose. And Ed, I feel like Avant has had some grammatically incorrect songs previously. What about the classic Minds Do? 
Poor Vaughn. Yeah, sometimes it's struggling, but I can't talk because one of our favorite artists on this podcast can't spell to save his life. I just want to sing. Ooh, need to hit that through spell check. But, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, Listen, the man hasn't put a space between words since, I don't know, since grade school. Why everything run together and in lowercase? But that's that's, crea- our that's man, artistry, though. man. Oh my, now it's artistry. Anyway, um, the Avant song is actually pretty okay. It it has a very vintage vibe to it that I think works well, and it works well with his vocals. Um, It's not my favorite, but I think that it's a nice different sound, and it works okay. And he's got, he signed to our boy Tim Kelly, who we had on the podcast last week, and uh, that's a new label deal for him, so that's pretty exciting. I thought it was a solid record. I was glad it, it was more in line with some of his more vintage-sounding stuff, and uh, I think people should like it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that record sound like one of his old records? I think uh, Don't Take Your Love Away. It's like the same I song. I did notice that a bit. I did actually yeah, notice that. Okay. So it's not me just being ignorant. Thank you. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, we got one more record that I really want to get into, which is Robin Thicke. He is back with a oh, new record. Boy. That's what love can do. Now, this guy has been through a lot over the last couple of years. He's been through a highly publicized divorce, uh, basically saw his career go from 100 to zero, and now he's trying to crank it back up. Um, He's dropped a bit of, a a little bit of, uh, he's dropped some songs over the last couple of years, but I think this is his official single, Tom. It looks like it, yeah. I mean, this is the second single he released. From this project he's got coming out independently, which is interesting. Um, so, Ed, what did you think of, of the style he's going with on this music? I I really liked it. And honestly, most of the singles that he has dropped since his big fall from grace have been pretty solid. And listen, I've been as critical of Robin as anybody else out there. But the thing is, the talent is still there. And he can make a good record when he wants to. And more often than not. The songs are good. I thought this one was pretty good. It's definitely one that I think after with a few more listens, it'll continue to grow on me. But it's not at all a bad direction. It's probably the direction he should go in. And it has me interested and looking forward to the next project. I don't know if we still supposed to be mad at him. I can't remember if the Wokes told me if he's off the, the cancel list yet. But I'm ready for the new project. I think it'll be interesting. Yep. And it's funny because I did a, uh, a poll on our Facebook page and I asked I, you know I listed a bunch of white artists who sing soul music and I asked which one of these is pop and which one of these is R&B there's a lot of people that call Robin Thicke pop music so we're just going to ignore the fact that he gave us like 13 years of his life to R&B <laughs> that's well that's up. how it gets confused like he, you'll come out with one pop record or one record that'll cross over and then suddenly you're a pop guy and it's annoying because people don't realize that you can make different style of music. Missy Elliott makes rap songs and pop songs and R&B songs. You can be multifaceted. That's okay. Yep. So we have two group, two groups who have uh, individual releases. Uh, some artists have gone solo or are releasing solo uh, projects. One being our favorite one that we talk about a lot, Jodeci. We know that KC is releasing a solo project soon, and we talked about JoJo doing the same. Well, JoJo has released a snippet to his new single, Special. And Tom, I know you really like this song, right? 
It's interesting. Uh, we got a chance to hear it for the first time. Most of us want to hear what he sounded like now. We didn't even know if he could still sing. We didn't even know if he could still talk at this point. So it's good to hear that he can still sing. As some of our readers pointed out, though, his voice definitely sounds a bit different than his heyday. But I felt like on this song, he keeps it in a range where it's acceptable. He's not trying to do too much. Ed, what did you think? Player. Listen, JoJo's <laughs> oh, been through boy. a lot. Listen, <laughs> listen, JoJo's been through a lot, so I'm behaving. But just being honest, when I, if you were to just play that song, I would not have known that was JoJo. Like, his voice yeah. just sounds so different. So, if you go into it expecting to hear 1992 vocals, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But, it sounds very different. I'll be nice and leave it at that. <laughs> Weren't you, rumor has it you were going to give this song a play it, please. Is this true, Ed? Um, sometimes there are facts based in rumors, but I'll let y'all call it a rumor. <laughs> All right. Um, we got a couple more records that I quickly want to brief on uh, or skim through here. Not because they're not good records, just we're running short on time. So I'm just going to name I'm just going to name them. Tom and Ed, you guys give me your first impressions and then we'll just move forward. Yep. Um, Tale of Drew Hill dropped a solo uh, record, Whatever Happened to Love. What do you guys think? I haven't heard this one yet, but we've got a couple of Tail fans in the Soul and Serial Cypher, and they are super excited about this one. So I got to check on this one. I'll have to yeah, check it out. It's a good song. Back. It's a good song. It's worth checking out. It's kind of a bit old school influenced, but that kid can really sing. Absolutely. Uh, the next one we have is Lion Babe, Western World featuring Raekwon. We love Lion Babe. Yes, I love me some Lion Babe. My wife is obsessed with Lion Babe. She's trying to get Lion Babe down here to perform because she wants to see him. I don't, I'm not sure if they've even been to Atlanta yet, but um, I really love this one, and I can't wait for their new project that's coming out. Cosmic Wind will be dropping in a couple weeks. And, Tom, we got to quickly talk about this one. And guys, here's a little bit of backstory. So for the longest time, Tom was using a BlackBerry phone, and I don't think they had emojis on it. But ever since he got – Tom, what phone do you have now? It's a Google Pixel XL 2. So he has a smartphone now, like a real smartphone. And because <laughs> oh of that, goodness. he's able to use uh, he's able to use emojis, and he abuses the emojis now. So when he was talking <laughs> about this song – he put like 20 flame emojis to talk about how fire this song was. Tom, is this song fire? This lipstick I mean, gypsy first song? Of all, first of all, <laughs> the last Blackberry I had was Android, so I had emojis. I just recently adopted e- using emojis. Second of all, Lipstick Gypsy is on fire. This is their second great song they've had this year. They had a couple great ones last year. I think Justin Timberlake is working his magic behind the scenes. We heard he was working with the group, so we're just excited to hear more good music from them. This new song is called Damn It. Damn it. (laughs) Um, Now for some news for everyone here. Monica's set to drop her new album. Tom, does it have a release date yet? Uh, It does not. She announced it on her uh, Instagram, and uh, she didn't really give much detail about it. It's called Chapter 38. She's 38 years old, and uh, it's her follow-up to Code Red, her first independent album. So it'll be interesting to see. There were some mixed reviews from our readers about the music she's been putting out. Her, her new single, Commitment, is already on the charts in the top 20. 
So it'll be interesting to see what she cooks up as an independent artist. Absolutely. Now, guys, I forgot to mention, we do have a special guest coming in now, so I want everyone to grab their soda and their popcorn. Like I said, every week we try to bring in a special guest, someone who's brought soul back. And Tom, I think we have someone today who has done that. Who do we have? Uh, we have the amazing Montel Jordan with us, you know, hit maker for so many years now, uh, has done so much for R&B, and we're really glad to speak with him today. Welcome, Montel. What's up, everybody? It's good to be with you. Glad to be able to share this podcast uh, time with you and uh, with your uh, your listeners. So thank you for having me. Now, um, Montel, we we always like to dig into the history a bit and start out with a bit of a of, of a curveball question. <laughs> so we're going to just go right into it. We we were reading many many years ago. You almost had an incident that almost cut your career short a bit early um, on stage. Uh, do you remember anything about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. This was uh, my very first uh, tour uh, where I was out on the road uh, with uh, Mary J. Blige, TLC, and Boys to Men. And uh, the way that went was uh, no one believed uh, early on my label. No one believed that, you know, as a new recording artist that you could land uh, a tour like that. And my wife, she's a beast, and she went and somehow got me as being the opening act on that tour. Uh, and so as we began taking off, uh, we found that uh, a couple of months, uh, maybe a couple of weeks or months into the into the tour, uh, Mary J. Blige had a single that blew up, and so she went off the tour, and so it was just me, TLC, and Boys to Men. Uh, and then a little later after that, uh, my friend T-Boz had got a uh, uh, sickle cell. She was uh, dealing with some health issues, and so TLC went off the tour, and then it was me and Boys to Men. Long story short, we got to the end of that tour, which lasted about, almost two years, uh, we were in Vancouver, Canada, and um, I took a, a fall off the back of a stage and literally almost died uh, in Vancouver, Canada, just uh, one day before we were supposed to fly out to start my tour in Australia. So uh, needless to say, I didn't have any broken bones, no concussion, uh, nothing, but I literally fell off the back of a, of a seven-foot stage uh, with, with my hands up above my head. So it was... Uh, crazy and i probably should not have lived through it uh but i believe that yeah. the prayers of everybody in the in the arena that day uh kind of saved my life so I, I, I talk about it basically i said boys to men uh saved my life <laughs> amazing wow that's crazy man i'm glad that you survived that because you've made such an impact on r&b and ed we always talk about how montel is probably the most underrated artist of the 90s can you can you chime in, Ed? Yeah, and one thing that kind of drives me crazy about the convos that often come with Montel is that we love to throw around, and not necessarily soul and stereo, you know, I got soul, but there are lots of conversations that are like one-hit wonders, and then we talk about this is how we do it. No, nah, y'all got to do your research, because Montel has been behind. Let's Ride was number one. Let's Get It On Tonight was number one. He's had a lot of success in the gospel arena as well. So it's weird how we kind of think of one song that's just so gigantic that it kind of overshadows a very successful gold and platinum career. So, Montel, my question to you is, we know how huge This Is How We Do It is, both the song and the album. 
but coming off the success of that, it feels like what I call kind of a, the thriller complex, where mm-hmm. no matter how great you have the material that comes after that, people always compare it to that first thing that just overshadows everything. How does that has that affected your career going forward, where you're just continually making hit after hit after hit, but in their mind, this is how we do it? Yeah, well... You know what's what's crazy is it normally when that comment is made it's normally just a um you know when you when you use the word ignorant it doesn't mean that someone is is stupid it doesn't mean someone is not educated if ignorance means I'm not aware it's I'm not right. aware of something so that's I think a lot of people are just unaware of you know the the, the accomplishments musically that we've been able to to contribute so like you when you say that Let's Ride was number was a number one, or Get It On Tonight was a number one. I wrote number one songs and contribute to those. Cisco had a song incomplete that's a number one record. Deborah Cox, Nobody's Supposed to Be Here, wrote uh, co-wrote that. It's a number one uh, record. So when I hear the term one hit wonder, I think, do you mean number one hit wonder or one hit? Are you are you which number one hit are you talking about? So. You know, that's the way I've, I've kind of navigated it, you know, myself. Uh, but um, I think what, to, to answer your question directly, I think the challenge was because this is how we do it was my first record that was a big number one record. You start feeling like I have to chase that record. And if I don't have something bigger or something greater than it, then I'm not as accomplished and I can never meet the expectation. And so, you know, it's different if you, you know, maybe get that later down the road. I came out that way. So uh, I think that's, if there's a stigma attached to me musically, it's the impact of that first record that hit in 1995 in the summertime. And it struck a chord with people and it just became something, you know, it it became something, I want to say iconic, but musically, I think it's one of the top 100 party records of the last, century or something billboard did this thing so i mean no matter how many hits you have no matter how many great records you have uh there are just certain records that stand out in people's psyche as uh being the the soundtrack to their lives and so i'm cool with that you know i love when people have at least researched to be able to say that's not all that guy did and so from that standpoint uh, i'm just hoping that i don't have to say it but that people like you or a podcast can help educate to be able to say, oh, yeah, I remember that record. I remember that record, too. Oh, that was in Save the Last. Oh, that was in, you know, Freedom Riders. Oh, that was, you know, all those different things are are cool. But it's good when you don't have to see it yourself when someone else is able to say, hey, you you haven't looked into the depth of what this person has been able to contribute to music. Well, you might not say it, but I'll say it for you. That song is iconic. And when we talk about top party records, that is probably not even top 100. That's like top three. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> I, I, I I agree with you. <laughs> I, I thank you. I thank you. It's a, yeah, it's, it's been a blessing of a record to have. So thank you. Right. Now, Montel, there's one record on um, one of your albums that we talk about constantly on the podcast, and I don't think a lot of people might, might know about it. They may have missed out, but it's the record with Case, Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. That record right yeah. there, that's that's a great one. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite records. Uh, from a, a writing standpoint, I mean, it never saw the, the light of day. It never got a video or 
was never fully released as a single, but for me uh, and for Case, who is still a friend to this day, um, it's one of my favorite written compositions. You know, I would say for me, probably top five, just because I love the the words to the song, the chorus. If I could have seen inside her, uh, I could have seen her broken heart, and I would have held on tighter, and we wouldn't be falling apart. I should have said I love her a thousand times a day, and I wouldn't be sitting here. Could have, would have, should have my whole damn life away. To me, that's like poetry. So, uh, one of my favorites, definitely. Absolutely, but two of everyone's favorites that grew up in that '90s R&B. Tom, I'm going to put you on the spot. Ed and Montel, you guys can follow after, but I got to ask, which song do you prefer? And Montel mentioned it earlier. He wrote both. Which song is better? Nobody's Supposed to Be Here by Deborah Cox or Incomplete by Cisco? Tom? Oh, man. I'm going to go with, uh, oh, man, I'm going with Nobody's Supposed to Be Here. It's close. I just like it just slightly better. They could go either way, though. Ed? Mm, y'all trying to put a brother on blast this morning. Um, I, y'all know how much I love both of those records and still talk about them to this day. But everybody also knows it's been on record how obsessed I was with Deborah Cox in that video. So I got to go with nobody's supposed to be here. What about you, Montel? <laughs> Montel, let me let me ask you this, Montel, because we've we've talked to Shep Crawford and heard that Cisco didn't even like Incomplete at first and. It almost didn't land on his album. What is the history behind that song? What, what, did it almost not release? Yeah, well, here's the strange thing. And understand, Shep and I, we are, we've been lifelong friends. Like, that's my god brother. Um, and so our journey together musically has been an awesome, an awesome ride. Uh, let me just, uh, here's, here's trivia. Both of those records, um, Incomplete, and Nobody's Supposed to Be Here were not written for either of the artists that ended up singing. So mm-hmm. actually, wow. Incom- Incomplete uh, was written for Michael Jackson. Hmm. But trying to get a record to Michael Jackson or to Michael Jackson's people was almost impossible. Like literally those words, even though it seems I have everything, I don't want to be a lonely fool, you know, all of those, Michael Jackson was the only one that had everything. You know what I mean? So we, we wrote hmm. that from that standpoint. And when it came to Nobody's Supposed to Be Here, that record was originally written for Patti LaBelle. Uh, and Patti wow. LaBelle did, I guess, what Cisco did, that they didn't particularly care for the record when they first heard it. The difference was uh, where uh, Patti LaBelle's people were saying, you, you should record this, you should record this. She determined she was not going to record it. And so the record made its way uh, to Clive Davis and, and to Deborah Cox in the regard to Cisco because we were label mates. Uh, Def Jam kind of had him do the record, uh, but it wasn't something that he probably wanted. But eventually, it's something that became, you know, one of his biggest records as well. So, uh, so both of those are, are great records, but neither of them was originally created, you know, for that artist. But those artists were were the ones that breathed life into the songs, and so I could never choose between the two because to me, they're, you know, they both were were very big big records for us and. And they both have meaning, one from a male standpoint and one from a female standpoint. So, Absolutely. Now, Montel, let's talk a bit, you know, about your, you know, highly publicized move to the church and to gospel, kind of away from the R&B scene. I mean, you still do a lot of performing. 
Um, but, you know, haven't released a, an R&B album in, in many years, I believe over a decade. So what is it like balancing, you know, both of those sides of things and, and kind of making gospel music now and, and you know, still performing some R&B? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I I stepped out of the music business in, I want to say, November, December of 2010, and I went into full-time ministry. I am in a born-again Christian. I am uh, an ordained uh, minister, a pastor of the Christian faith, and that's who I am now. And I, I took that time and took many years kind of stepping away from music because I had kind of made music my idol. In other words, rather than having a relationship with God that I needed, I had that relationship with music, and I made music my God. So when I needed resources, I didn't go to God. I went to my music as as God. And so I had to step away from that to be able to to get a uh an affirmation or uh to be reacquainted with with who God actually was outside of music. And so one of the greatest things that I learned in that journey from music into ministry uh was that um uh, music didn't make me. I made music. Uh music didn't define me. I defined music. And once I was able to get that back aligned several years into ministry, then I felt like God could trust me to be able to then go back into different places musically, uh, allowing people to see who I was, but more so who I am now, uh, the better man now, the better husband now, the better father now, the better musician, the better vocalist, the better writer that I am now, recognizing that those things didn't didn't make me, but I made those things. Uh, through something that's a gift that was given to me from God. So with that being said, uh, this journey or this balance now of seeing me uh, in church or worship or having thousands of people, you know, on a weekend trying to direct their hearts to God, that's that's who I am and that's that's what I do. I also get the awesome opportunity to, to jump on a I Love the 90s uh, hip-hop tour or a uh, a 90s kickback tour, which is an R&B tour that goes out from time to time. Uh, and I'm working alongside of peers and people that I love, salt and pepper, TLC, uh, vanilla ice. I'm going out on Hammer's uh, house party tour, you know, for a couple of dates this year uh, where you have everybody from Kid and Play. And, and uh, I just got off a tour or a couple of tour dates with my friends, John B and Case and cut close and uh, just what a great opportunity that uh, I'm not just a pastor in a church. I'm a pastor everywhere I go. So when I'm on these tours, whether it's a hip hop tour or an R&B tour, which is crazy that I get to be on both of those in both of those places uh, because of my musical uh, acumen, um, I also get an opportunity to take ministry outside of the four walls of the church and take it to the most least unexpected places to an R&B venue or a hip-hop venue just to be able to say to people, man, God loves you, and you don't expect to hear that at a concert, but that's the only reason why I'm really on this show anyway is because uh, I believe the light of God it doesn't just belong in a church. It belongs everywhere. And so this has been more of a, a blessing for me to be able to take what transformed me outside of the church into the world of music, R&B, hip-hop, and into concert venues all around the world. So if I can do it and I get an opportunity to go, uh, I will go. And uh, I've been able to uh, to be able to say 
in my shows how God has changed and transformed me in hopes that somebody else would hear that message and not just love the music and feel nostalgic because of some old songs, but also be inspired because of a guy that they can see that's living a new life. Amazing. Absolutely. Great answer. So, so Montel, even though you've been away from R&B for a minute, the fans, they haven't forgot. I get emails all the time and tweets all the time. And, you know, especially because we told the fans that you would be on here today. They're asking about this Queen project with Tamia, Deborah Cox, and Kelly Price. R&B fans have been waiting a long time for that. Um, Ed, hypothetically, a project like that, because we haven't heard a lot of records what do you think of a project like that, Ed? What, what what comes to mind? I remember when word of that leaked out, man, it may have been about 10 years ago. It was before I moved to Birmingham. And three of the premier vocalists in R&B together in one project, him by Hontel and Shep all having a hand in that, that really had the opportunity to kind of change the game. And we had some snippets of some songs here and there. But, you know, kind of the buzz petered out a little bit. Montel, can you tell us a little bit about what the plan was for that project and kind of where it went and how it kind of died off? Well, you know, it's 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 hard to say simply because, you know, people are – they have personalities, they have their circles of influence – and so uh, the best way I can explain it is like this. People will see me, and they will say, hey, Montel, you know, how is, you know, how is Genuine doing? Or, or how is, you know, so-and-so doing? And the thing is, Genuine is a friend of mine, but I have a circle of influence that is my wife, my kids, my family, my church, the people I grew up with. Like, I have a whole circle of influence that I know him because, Musically, we connected, but a lot of people think that me and Genuine and Case and Dino Jones and John, like we all hang out together. Like, you know, like you think when you see Hollywood, like you would ask, you know, saying Brad Pitt how George Clooney is doing. Like, unless they're friends like that, Brad Pitt probably has a whole life and a whole bunch of other people and a whole circle of influence that has nothing to do with Clooney. But you see them at the award shows and you think, oh because they're Hollywood, they're the best of friends, or because they're music, they're the best of friends, and it's really not like that. And so I think that all of these women who are astounding in their own right, um, I don't know if they would hang out with each other, you know, outside. They have their they have their own spouses, their own relationships, their own careers, their own family members and friends, and them coming together collectively would be like trying to bring something, you know, these certain groups are, they've been together from childhood or from kids and they study together and they dance together and they learn together and they were brought up as a group and they learn how to be unified like a team or something. But when you're trying to bring three different people from three different worlds and put them together in a group, their stylings are different, their writing styles are different, their recording styles are different. It's, it's like, you know, it's, like saying, hey, why couldn't we put Michael Jackson, Prince, and this person in a group? It's like there's so much that comes along with the talent that it's not as easy as it looks. And so with that being said, when you have three astounding people that are, you know, huge on their own uh, and in their own rights with different styles, the the common thread of all of those women uh, outside of them having individual in, incredible styles, was some of the production and the writing 
all came from the same place. So Shep and I had a great opportunity to work with Deborah or with Tamia or with Kelly. And that's the the sound and those hit records. Those are the things that tied them all together. So uh, it just was some personalities may or may not have worked together. Uh, and it just kind of became a thing of where, uh, you know, it's almost like waiting for Dr. Dre's, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> album to come that, that never can, you know, it's that, I think it's kind of that thing. It was good to be talked about and, and probably would have been a wonderful thing had it happened. Uh, I'd have been all for it, uh, but you would have needed all of those people to be able to say, you know, how, how great would it have been to have a, a Gladys Knight, Patti LaBelle, Aretha Franklin album, right? When you think about that, that would have been amazing. Why didn't that happen? Well, because you have three different people that had three different careers, three different lives, and trying to bring those things together sometimes. It's like trying to align the stars, and so sometimes it's just not, you know, it's in, not in the cards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how was the music for that project? Because I know you guys did do some work, and it was recorded already? Yeah, there were some songs and some things that were demoed in, in recording, and, and uh, uh, kind of like those those Prince songs in the vault that haven't been uh, released. That vault is actually a, a real place. Uh, there right. are songs that... You know, I I know that the the beautiful side of music is um, a lot of times you give birth to some things and people don't necessarily ever get a chance to to hear them or see how beautiful they are. Uh, Shep and I, we recorded a song with uh, Gerald LaVert called Am I Dada? And that's years and years and years ago. And then eventually he passed away and it's a song that's never been heard before. And so there are tons of like that one or songs that, you know, may have been recorded, you know, by... Uh, by Deb and, and Tamia and Kelly and and just the world just will probably never have a chance to hear those. I've recorded songs that the world will never hear. There's just this idea. I mean, and who knows what that looks like. It's just um, I can tell you that those voices together and that, that would have been an amazing thing to hear. Well, Montel, that brings up a really interesting question that's always been debated in music circles. We always hear after a prince passes away or a Michael, and there's this vault of music, and it's this debate, should fans be allowed to see it, or should it be locked away? Because if the artist wanted to hear it, they would have released it. So what do you think? Do you think, in your opinion, if an artist passes away, should the music stay in the vault? Or should it be released for fans to hear, knowing that it may or may not be the vision that they wanted? I think, um, you know, of, of the albums I've released, I've got hundreds, maybe thousands of songs that nobody's ever heard. And I think they were not heard for a reason. I felt like either they were songs that I didn't like, they were songs I was not pleased with the performance on, they were songs I felt didn't resonate with who I was, or they may have been... Uh, for whatever reason, when you're an artist, you want to put out the best of the best. So if I if I put out a, an album of ten songs, I may have recorded thirty songs and chose ten because the other tw- you know the other twenty weren't up to par. Now to want to release those not up to par songs that I thought as new releases, it may diminish you know the the level of of what someone now they may feel differently. Like well, we just want to hear what he was working on or what he was thinking, and so that's great. Uh, but to me, whether they should be released or not, to me is I'm more in the in the place of uh, I believe everybody should have a will. 
So from that standpoint, you know, I, I don't think it should be up to someone else to determine what someone's composition should be. Like for me, the same way I have a will for my family and for my life, musically, uh, if those things are left into my family, I want them to be able to know, hey, these are songs that were not maybe my greatest works, but they are a part of the things that I was working on or creative ideas or bits and pieces. And if I want my family to be able to release that, I will put it in a will uh, because that's what I think wisdom says about intellectual property and things like that. I think a lot of people just don't think through those things. They think they'll live forever. And so they create things, but don't realize that their artwork or their songs or whatever is something that could be something that could be a blessing to their family or to the future generations and to their legacy. So um, I'll have mine written into a will. So, you know, when I'm gone, uh, y'all, y'all might be gone too. I don't know, but (laughs) somebody (laughs) wants to hear uh, some of these hits that's been laying around. So, you know, nice. That's just my take on it. Now, Montel, you were part of one of the greatest, in our opinion, greatest collection of R&B talent that was compiled at one point. You know, that was Def Soul under the Def Jam label. I mean, you had yourself, Drew Hill, Kelly Price, Isley Brothers, Music Soul Child, Case. You had 112. Um, and just so many amazing artists who were under the same umbrella at the same time. I know you eventually left the imprint, but what is your fondest memory of that time and being around so much R&B talent? Uh, fondest memory, um, you know, that was, we, we actually had some really, really good, good times together. I would say probably one of the fond memories that I have was recording, uh, Love Set You Free with Kelly Price. That was fun because Teddy Riley had produced that and, uh, it was uh, a song that she had done and, and, uh, us and. Uh, like I said, the, all, the entire label kind of came together for uh, to support uh, Kelly in that. Um, so I would say that was probably one of the, the, the fondest memories in, uh, of uh, recording and, and having a, a time uh, with the Depth Soul imprint. But all of those, the, the groups that you name, and I think I think 112 was with, uh, just for a second, because those are my guys too, Q Parker, that's mm-hmm. my guy, but I, they were with... Uh, bad boy so um i don't know if they ever made their way over to def jam but but pretty much um all of the groups that you named those were guys and and girls that i had an opportunity to either write songs with or perform with or tour with and uh we had great times together i believe it or not um that uh 112 actually for the fourth album there was a big uh dispute at the time them trying to leave bad boy they came to def jam for just one album but I think that might have been a little later than Love Sets You Free was recorded, so they probably weren't involved around that time. Understood, understood. Yeah. And, Tom, you forgot about one of my favorite groups of all time, Playa. Ed, how can I forget? Playa, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Smoke Smoke Diggler and all those guys, yeah, they, they were dope songwriters, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Montel, we've talked extensively about your history, and you know the the, the question that everyone always asks is, will Montel will, will Montel ever make a return to R and B to record new music and, and all of that stuff? So, do you foresee that happening in the future? Because I know you're back it, on stage or performing the hits. It's happening. I, I have I have recorded about seven songs already that I feel really really great about. 
Um, there's songs about relationships. There's songs that will have people moving. Again, I have a song I'll call When I'm Around You uh, that features Lecrae. Um, there's some stuff coming, and I'm, I'm super excited about it. And um, and you will hear it this year. And that's the extent of what I can say. I can say about it. this is not a yeah I'm in a studio or yeah this is a <laughs> an actual album project that's coming that will probably be called Masterpiece. But Masterpiece wow. spelled M S T E R P E A C E one word. That's amazing, man. We're really excited to hear that. And that's that's coming that's independently, first, or first. yeah, it'll be independent. I, I believe it'll be independent unless somebody wants to come and and be a part of that. But right now, it's being recorded and written and, and all done independently. So, and this is the first time I've actually spoken this. So, your podcast kind of has an, an exclusive. But, but yeah, it's coming. It's coming. That's amazing. Right. Man. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, Absolutely. that's great news. My wife is going to hit the roof. Lecrae and Montel, two of her favorites. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> two of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Montel, I know we're we're almost out of time here, but just to wrap things up, two more questions for you, because this is one that I think is really interesting, especially when we look at the current state of R&B and how hip-hop and R&B has essentially fused into one. And Ed, back in the day, Montel was the master of that, taking those hip-hop influences and turning it into R&B bangers like a Let's Ride or a This Is How We Do It. Ed, can you at least share with the fans what you see as the difference between what Montel did and maybe what some of these R&B acts are doing now with these R&B bangers? Well, I think the difference is, and I like Montel to weigh in on his end from his perspective, is Montel was able to take he was fundamentally R&B, but he was able to take the the hip-hop climate at the time, be it the Master P when he was doing his thing or going back to 95 and other records as well. It wasn't just those two. He did the joint with Slick Rick. But he was able to kind of take that and make it his own. He wasn't straight rapping. Like, he, he didn't rap like Master P on a Master P song. He did Montel and had other people come in to add their flavor to it. So it was a Montel R&B record with hip-hop influences. I think, in my opinion, what happens today is we have R&B artists trying too hard to go the other way. So they're actually becoming pseudo-hip-hop artists, and the R&B of their art gets a little lost. So Montel, in your eyes, and I'm not sure how well you're keeping up with today's current scene as compared to your heyday, what do you think that artists are doing or shouldn't be doing when they're incorporating hip hop into their art? Well, um, I think there's a lot of validity to what you're, to what you're saying. It's for me, I was a, um, I, I was a rapper as a kid growing up uh, and I, and I was a singer. And so, you know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, being in ciphers and spitting bars and freestyling and all of that. Uh, when it came to the R&B, I was trying to find my voice. And so because I was singing and I didn't know what my voice sounded like, uh, I was trying to sound like Charlie Wilson or I was trying to sound like Aaron Hall or I was trying to sound like, you know, a bunch of different artists. And, and so the only way I was able to find my voice was to use the hip-hop influence of taking rap lyrics and then singing them. So 
I would take, I reach for my 40 and I turn it up, designated job, I take the keys to my truck. That's rap. You know, but then I would add music to it, designated job, I take the keys to my truck. And so my style developed from taking rap type of lyrics and then adding melody to them. I think that also because at that time period, R&B and, and rap did not cross. Um, you, if you, when I had, uh, this is how we do it came out. A lot of stations wouldn't play once upon a time in 94 Montana. They took the rap out and they only played the R and B version of it. So they sure did. What, we did. what we did with Def Jam and with the style of music I was doing was people didn't know what I was doing. They couldn't tell if I was rapping or singing. Cause I was trying, I was sounding like slick Rick on some places. And so rather than taking it out, I kind of became a bridge between, you know, I, for good or bad, I kind of bridged the gap between radio stations starting to play hip hop more because if they like this is how we do it and the people like that song, they couldn't tell if it was a rap song or if it was an R and B song. And so, and then it became a pop song. So, how that translates to what people are doing today, um, I think you don't have to have guys that really can sing today. I think you have guys that have uh, great stylings and and they got drip and, and they got flavor you know and swag and all of that and so they don't have to to really be true vocalists uh they got bars and if they can sing their hooks or you know or if they can uh i think what was great for me was i could rap but i also partnered up with rap artists to bring r&b and hip-hop together at some point the artist became uh i will be the rapper and the singer on a record and i don't have to be necessarily good at either uh, but if I can create something that people like, uh, I don't have to. People don't have to buy into their artistry; they can buy into the song. And I think that's the major difference today. Back then, you either bought into who Montel Jordan was, not just the song. Today, you like a song, and I don't necessarily know the artist or who they are or what you know or or what they're doing or if something else comes out and I don't like it then they're gone because I didn't buy into the artistry. I bought into the song. That's a great point. Yeah. And then uh, Montel, final thing before we let you go, just real quick. We asked this to every artist who joins us on this podcast. Uh, two of the favorite artists of this podcast are Music Soul Child and Keith Sweat. If you had to choose only one of those two artists to listen to, who would you choose? Keith Sweat. <laughs> <laughs> my man and I, I love i mean i love music i mean but i mean dude like myself and 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 music you know together we're we're like sons when it comes to, to keith like keith got you know he's from new jack like he's got uh extensive catalog he's got hits he made groups um yeah i, I couldn't just from a repertoire standpoint like i love music but they're not like in the same category to me. I, I couldn't put myself in that category. Like to me, Keith is like a, you know, he's that dude I look up to. Like you know, being on a stage with Keith and being on a stage with music, I feel like music is more of a peer. Keith to me is more like a adult uncle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the difference. There's a difference from hanging out with your cousin, hanging out with your uncle. You know, your uncle got just a little bit more. And no disrespect to music, music is dope. Um, but you know, to me, you know, that's like comparing, yeah, you got to make, uh, uh, more legitimate comparisons there. Keith is like a, he's a boss in this thing. So that's just me. That's my opinion. So. Fair. 
Well, your yeah. your opinion is right, by the way, Montel. You're right. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right, Montel, before we say goodbye, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, I would just say uh, June. Look out uh, June 2019 for a Masterpiece Project. And um, like I said, the first single is called When I'm Around You. It features myself and my friend Lecrae, uh, who's also a fraternity brother of mine uh, in Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity, the greatest fraternity in the world. Uh, and uh, it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. I think people will be uh, appreciative of, of the new music. I'm not trying to be anybody that I'm not. Um, and um, But I think it's going to be relevant, and people are going to um, really enjoy not just what what God has done in me, but musically, uh, where the direction that I'm that I'm headed. So, awesome, man. Well, Montel, thank you once again so much for joining us. You've been an awesome guest. We really appreciate you sharing some insights, some history, and also uh, filling us in on the new music. We can't wait to share this with our readers. We know they're going to be excited too. So, uh, man, just know you got our support, and glad to see you keep it going. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your audience and your influence. Okay. Now, Tom, I know you're running short on time, but I think we still got three minutes here. So I think we can squeeze in this R&B trivia if you want to just be here to ridicule Ed for a bit. Go. All right, Ed, are you ready for this R&B trivia? I am always ready, player. What you got? So to give you a little bit of backstory, a couple of weeks ago we did an R&B trivia with yourself and Tom. I gave you three Keith Sweat songs and Tom three Music Soul Child songs, and I asked you to guess what albums uh, they were from. Do you remember this trivia? I remember, and I remember you cheating very well for Tom, and I still came out on top. Astonishingly and shockingly, Ed was able to name all three Keith Sweat songs and what projects they were from. You know what? That crowned you as the king of R&B, but... I have another quiz here to test your knowledge, and if you get these right, if you at least get one right, I will crown you the emperor of R&B, because Tom couldn't get it. <laughs> the emperor of R&B, alright, now I'm hyped. So, those same three records that we talked about previously, those three same Keith records, we, we asked mm-hmm. you what album they were from, now I'm going to really test your knowledge, because Ed, you actually listened to the albums, right? Yeah. And sequencing is very important to you, right? Very. So if I name the record, can you tell me the song that comes before that song on the album? Oh my god, no. We're gonna but do I it. Can try. Tom, are you ready? This is stupid. I got none right. I wasn't even close, but who there would There's no way I'm gonna get this. Alright, alright, let's do this. So the first record is uh Let Me Love You. What's the song that comes before that? And you can't Google because Tom and I believe you Googled last time. No, Mike. Well, of course you would say you Google because you're a couple of haters. Um, like my, my hands aren't even near the keyboard. I'm trying. What I'm doing is I'm trying to like visualize the actual album and the track listing because if I feel like I can picture what's on the album, I could do it. But I'm struggling. It's not... I'm just going to say, why me, baby? I don't know. It's probably not right. Tom, holy crap. What is right? No, it's not. not. (laughs) Way off. All right. Uh, Next song we have uh, Tom's favorite song, Hood Sex. What comes before that? (laughs) And he was making fun of music for not using the complete sentences for, for song titles. He has a song called Hood Sex. Come on. 
Wait, yeah. is this Tom, right. uh, on a side note, Tom? I mean, Ed, is this song about having sex in the hood or like car sex? It's not about having sex on top of a transformer. Calm down. Um, do love tonight? I mean, do wrong. The tonight? song, whatever it is. Actually, that is correct. Wow. No, it's not. No, it's not. It is correct. Do wrong tonight. I'm dead serious. Go Wikipedia that. It's the song after it. <laughs> what? I'm hyped. I'm hyped. No one can stop me. Wow. Um, and then the last one, because I think Tom is already dying. Um, <laughs> the song Some More. What came before that? You're not gonna know. You're not gonna know that because first of all, some more is a bonus song. Yeah, it was uh, a bonus song. So basically, you're asking like, what was the long last song on the album? Unless there's another bonus song that I forget. It's it's another. It's another bonus song. It's called "Shh." Here we go again. Oh, that was my song. Oh, I could have got that. I could have got that. It's all good. Um, Guys, I think (laughs) for sure we're gonna have more R&B trivia to come. And uh, hopefully we'll get these guests to do it as well. But uh, bef- uh, until then, Tom, what's going on with you know I got soul.com? A lot of new music is coming out. It's been a good year for R&B. We got some stuff going on. A lot of news that's been coming out too. New albums. John B. and Donnell's video shoot. Uh, John B. shouted us out on Instagram if you didn't see that. So there's a lot of good stuff going on. Um, check it out. Ed, what's going on with Soul in Stereo? We still, we're hanging in there at Soul and Stereo. I was under the weather about a few days ago, so things kind of slowed down a little bit, but your boy is back in action. Go check out that review of Solange's um, album, When I Get Home, so you can get a little bit more in-depth thoughts on that. And Kyle's favorite, the love letters are back, so we got a few questions from the community talking about what they got going on and me doing my usual ranting. That's about it. Cool, cool. And as far as me, not much is going on, but uh, guys, I know I promised in the beginning of this interview I wasn't going to give R. Kelly a play of please, but here is the play of please for this week. Okay. We're giving it to R. Kelly because, because after he got out of jail, he went straight to McDonald's. Either jail is really bad, but he still should have gone somewhere better to eat. Not McDonald's. Come on, guys. Look, player, I know you aren't talking. The man, the fast food king. If you got locked up, the first thing you do is hit McDonald's. And we already know Kelly's money is funny. Listen, that great value meal goes a long way. Absolutely. So, guys, I think that's it for this week before we get into any trouble. I want to thank Montel for joining us on the podcast. Great, great, great segment there if you missed out on it. But uh, I guess that's it for this week. I'm going to go grab a Big Mac and hang out with the Pied Piper. So I'll see you guys next week. (laughs) Well, good luck there. We'll have to be putting you in therapy soon enough. (laughs) 30 years, Ed. 30 years. Peace. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) All right.